anyway. Um, so uh, just uh, so most of the people, I think everybody should have known. Did you introduce everybody yet? She's not listening to me. She did not. Okay. Well, so everybody in the back here, I'm going to mess up everybody's name. So you have to forgive me. I know Dave and Cody, and then I'm I'm lost. <laughs> I'm Alex. Alex, I got that right. See, I told you I'd mess up. This is one of those days it's not good. So. Uh, Why don't you let them introduce them? Okay. Introduce yourselves. So Alex and Cody. Cody, Gaudi. Bruno. And Leslie, Mia. So these are... Uh, Part of the team, almost half the team that came up from Alabama, from Huntsville, Alabama, uh, this weekend. <clears throat> this is a mission trip for them to make New Testaments to send to our missionary, their missionary as well. They support their church, Community Baptist Fellowship, Community Fellowship Baptist Church in Huntsville, and they support Dan and Jan Jalowick in Zambia. Uh, they has anybody? I know your pastor has been, but have you guys been to Zambia? Yeah, I have. You have. Yeah. Okay. Well. That's right. So Brian, he's talking about Brian Kaoma, uh, Brian Kaoma, who was a uh, Zambian man that was in the Bible Institute when I was there. I helped train him, and now he's on the mission field in Malawi. So they support him, and uh, and so anyway, their team came up to do 2,500 Chichewa New Testaments, and uh, it was a really it was an honor to have them, uh, and, and uh, it was it was a, it was a great experience for Heartland to receive a team to do something like that. It's very unique. We've never done it like that. We've had people come down on a project, you know, for the come down for a couple hours from a local church. But this team put the put the effort into driving all the way up here. They loaded everything up in a trailer now, and then they're taking it home. And then have to figure out how to ship it to Zambia. So um, so anyway, we're excited about them. So I'm glad you guys are here. Thank you for being here. So their pastor. Uh, Jay Shug is going to be speaking this morning in the main service, and so we're looking forward to hearing from him as well. And uh, so if you see people you don't know, you should do this anyway, no matter what. I mean, just say hi, welcome to HBF, and and uh, and so uh, we're thankful they're here. And Okay, so doing a couple of quick announcements. I don't have a handout this morning. Uh, I just ran out of time this week, I'm, and then, of course, I ran out of the house without my notes, and so I wouldn't have had a handout for you anyway. Uh, but then let me give you a couple of quick things to remind you. So volleyball is coming up here at the beginning of the year. So if you want to play volleyball, you need to go ahead and get registered. Uh, you can do that online. Uh, so the real real life class, which is who we are, by the way. I didn't. Tell you, I don't know if they told you that, but I, the name of our class is Real Life. Um, I don't I have to go way, way back a long time to remind myself why we call it that. But we try to we try to be real in here as much as possible, as you can see. I mean, you know. Flaws and all. Yeah, flaws and all. Thank you. Uh, but anyway, um, and so I lost my train of thought. Oh, so we're um, so our class is cleaning Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, Jeremy, I know you wanted to try to do something on Wednesday evening. Is that right? Yeah. Well, they have Bible. I think they're. Are, is service canceled on Wednesday evening, or is it? I don't think it well, is. Well, I was thinking Wednesday during the day, but. Okay. Well, that's fine. So we'll. So if you guys want to come and do half, mm -hmm. primarily the trailer, maybe in the in the in whatever you can do in the children, we'll finish them up okay. on Saturday or Friday evening or something. Okay. So everybody good with that? I'll, I'll email you on that when we when it, when we get locked in on the time. <clears throat> She's putting you to work. I'm like looking at the calendar in my head. I don't think we have time. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, I want to mention, uh, pre please pray for, for Gwen Arnie. You know, he's going through a really, really rough time. Julie was on the phone with, with uh, Betty this morning. Um, but without going into all the details, he is, um, the treatment that he's getting, with the radiation treatments he's getting, the machines just keep breaking. And so, uh, was it yesterday, day before? <laughs> yesterday, he was on the machine. He was on it for like five minutes, and then it stopped. Oh. Getting on and getting off is extremely painful for him. You know, the table, however, they got in position. So, I think they had him on and off this table four times. Oh, my goodness. And so, he's in, he is in bad shape. And he's just, you know, um, so his, you know, they need to do the radiation so they can... What they're trying to do, just so you guys know, is they are trying to... He has kidney cancer, 
and they are trying to um, essentially kill the can kill the kidney. Because it's either that or remove it. Right. And uh, um, so anyway, they're, they're trying to do this procedure, and it's it's just really hard on the whole family. We pray for Betty; she needs your prayers. Um, uh, their daughters need your prayer, uh, and so just and it's just tough, and, you know. Um, so there's all kinds of things going on without going into detail at all. It would take, it would take more of the time than I have right now to really share. But just, just know, pray for Gwen and Betty, mm -hmm. and uh, Holly and Aaron. Aaron, their daughters. And he is starting chemo and the off chemo immunotherapy Tuesday. Him. Gwen. Gwen, yeah. You want to? <laughs> no, you're doing good. So anyway, so he's so not only is he doing the radiation to do with the kidney, he's also starting this chemotherapy medicine medication. On top of everything else, so next this Tuesday is going to be one of the worst days that he's going to have to face. That's mm -hmm. everything piled on on Tuesday. So just keep him in prayer. Um, and uh, uh, hmm? oh, I thought you were saying something. And uh, so we got Bud. Just keep praying for him, for his lungs, and Bob for his uh, his situation. Are you doing okay today? Yeah. Yeah. Good. I'm glad new, you're doing okay. New dog at the house, puppy that wants to chew and bite. <laughs> so that gives you something to chase. Everything, anyone. Well, that's what they do. They're teething. And I can't, um, I can't shoot him because it's my dog. <laughs> that's what happens. Uh, I had a couple of other things that I needed to mention for Brian, but I don't have his notes now. Uh, did you get to his, you got his email, Brian's email? I did. So, there's anything on there that needs to be said? I think it was just, I think, I think I covered pretty much everything. Okay. Child rearing class that was all right, so um, so we're going to be in Second Corinthians. This is where our study has been going on right now. But before we go there, we, what we always do in this class is we we take the time to share, uh, read some scripture, and and then we use the scripture as our prayer points. And I I open in prayer, and then I let members of the class pray as they would like to. And then when they're all done, I close it all up, and we get started. So if you turn over to uh, Psalm chapter one forty six, it's a ten verse passage. We're going to read that. We're going to pray through that. Uh, and then uh, then we'll get started. So I apologize for being a little bit behind time this morning. Um, I thought I had myself together, but Psalm 146, verses 1 to 10. So the pastor says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise, ye, praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God. While I have any being, put your trust in princes, nor... Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth, in that very day his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever, which excludeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry, the Lord looseneth, Looseth the prisoners. The Lord opened the eyes of the blind. The Lord raised them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord is preserveth. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Even the God of even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations. Praise ye the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, our guest being here. We just praise you so much for that. Father, we do just we do want to praise you for who you are. You are the God of creation. You're the God of, of all life, and we do praise you for that. And while I live, Lord, I do pray that my life would be one that will praise you in everything that I do. Uh, and Lord, I, I I I pray that we all put our trust in in you, not in the man, not in man, not in the Son of Man, because there is no help there, but there is help in you all at all times. And we ask, Father, that you would help us. We pray. Um, I just want to pray first for for Gwen. Uh, Lord, he's, my, he's a dear friend of mine, and uh, and I know everybody in this class loves loves him and loves his wife and his family. And Lord, I pray that you would move mightily in his life, and Lord, that you would help everything that's going on. Lord, ease the pain, uh, cure his body. Lord, uh, 
he wants to serve you and he wants to continue uh, in that vein. So I pray that you would help him do that. And Lord, you are the Lord God that made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is. <clears throat> and we just praise you, Father, that you do that for going. And <clears throat> we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Father in heaven, truly happy is and blessed um, are those who put their trust in you and um, who seek you for help. And Lord, we thank you that we have this promise from you that whether it be cancer or um, just obstacles in, in this world, Lord, that, that we can focus our, our hope and our trust on you. And, and Lord, we, we thank you that the promise is is uh, now, but also for future, and we, we praise you for that. We pray that you would use us um, as we, we seek to publish your word, Lord, and your gospel, and your truth. And we do pray for uh, Bob, um, that you would encourage him, and, and um, Bud, and, and all those who, who aren't able to be with us today because of ailments and sickness and, and otherwise, Lord. We know that you care for them even more than we can imagine. We love you, Lord. Father, I just want to thank you for who you are. You are the God of the universe. You made us. You love us more than we can imagine. And I know you uh, love Wayne. Father in heaven, as we conclude in prayer, we're just again, we're thankful, Lord, that we can come before you as, with our petitions, Lord. We can lay them at your feet, knowing that you will, that you do hear our prayers and you do respond. And we thank you for those things, Lord. And we do uh, pray uh, uh, for the message this morning in the main service, Lord, that it would be empowering to everybody. We pray for those that are being baptized today, Lord, that, they, that their families that are may be coming uh, would see the truth of, of salvation in their life. And, uh, and Lord, it would change the whole family for them. And we just thank you and praise you for all that you do and ask your blessing on the day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we, where we had to, we were in there last year, last week on the first part of it. We try to finish up chapter 7 today. Um, just as a reminder, and uh, just kind of going to give us a, uh, as we get started here, just as a, remind ourselves where we're at with this study. Uh, I mentioned this last week, and you, had, you, know, you had blanks because you had a handout, no handout today. But uh, to remind you, to, to Paul's primary purpose in writing this letter um, was to, was what I, this is how I described it, was to vindicate, vindicate uh, his apostleship to the church, uh, his rightful leadership, because they had gotten to the point where uh, they, they were listening to, to false apostles, to Judaizers, those that were trying to destroy Paul's ministry. And uh, he's basically writing this letter to, to just, not justify, but to establish his apostleship as the rightful leader in the church. So not only was he vindicating his apostleship, but he was also documenting uh, and using his own personal life as, a, as, a life, as, a, as an example of manner of life. This is the kind of person that Paul is. He wanted the church to see who Paul was, because they had apparently forgotten who he was. He was the guy that started that church. You know, it would be like uh, Pastor Brian, who had been here for 20 years in his church. He planted a church. You know, he's, he was part of the getting it started. And then he leaves, you know, because God moves him, let's say, next year. God moves him. And then a year later, we're just like, Brian, who's Brian? That would be how the church is with Paul right now. Paul, who's Paul? We got these other guys here. They're telling us the truth now. Paul, we don't even know what he was saying. That was what he's dealing with. So he had been refuting those who, whose true colors keep coming out, more evident every time, every every chapter, that their continued resistance to Paul and his teaching was their goal, 
to resist what he was saying and document all of that. And so Paul unmasked them as what I call false apostles or Judaizers who need to be rejected by the Corinthian saints. And Paul was focused on this group. He's going to, he's going to take them to task towards the end of, the, end of this letter. But for right now, he's still dealing with some truth. And so throughout this study, we've been encouraged by Paul's example. Really, I hope you've been encouraged by his example about the kind of person he is. And we talked about, you know, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, follow me as I follow Christ. And we looked at those kind of things last week. We're not going to go back into all that today. But he, he is the picture of self-discipline and focus. He knows what he, what he has been called to do. And that's something that every one of us, we talked about that before. You, in fact, I told the Bible Institute students this, this very thing. You need to be very comfortable in, in your call to be in the United States as much as you're comfortable in your call to go overseas. Because wherever you are, you're serving God, or you should be serving God, which is part of the whole letter, is the point of the letter as well. And so as he sometimes appears almost above and apart from other Christians. I know that's what a lot of people think about Paul. So we can never be like Paul, because Paul was a special guy. Uh, but that's the whole point of this. No, you can be just like Paul. Maybe not in his apostleship and all of that kind of stuff, but you can still be like Paul. <clears throat> Paul was being, excuse me. <clears throat> uh, so this letter reveals a very human side of Paul, who we can identify with, not only in his circumstances, but in his heart. And so he's very transparent, which is why we call this study, Be Transparent. A Christian needs to be transparent so people can see, as I've told you before, they can see what? If you're transparent, what are they going to see? You're going to see Christ. So we need to be transparent. That's what Paul is trying to say. Hey, I'm transparent. Look at my life. Look what I've said. Look what I've been doing. So one thing that I haven't pointed out in, this, in, as, you know, in, in the, the weeks that we've been in this, um, was that I was thinking about this last night as I was trying to, what am I going to say? And so I, uh, one thing I hadn't pointed out in, the, in these lessons that have come up to us is the form of Paul's steady stream of behavioral counsel. He's, he's just giving us behavioral counsel over and over again. He's talking doctrine and things like that. But he's also done some other things. So I made the point in the first six chapters of why we should be ministers. You know, Paul wrote and he said that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation and all that. So we, so we kind of focused on you need to be serving. But there's something else about this letter. We should take note that Paul has been teaching us how to separate doctrinal truth and biblical application from the worldly influences that are constantly challenging our faith. So, so that was the problem. If you, if you want to encapsulate what was going on in Corinth, they were being influenced by the world. And the world was taking over their, their mind, and, and they, were, they were beginning to follow after the world. And Paul says, you need to separate there. Here's some doctrine to help you separate. Here's some applicational... <clears throat> Goodness gracious. <clears throat> Here's some... I can't even remember what was that. Here's some practical applications to where what we should be able to do. And so I mentioned last week how our current cancel culture in the world, you know, our current cancel culture, seemed, I think they got their, their marching orders from the Judean, or the Judaizers in the world, and the false prophets. I, you know, because they... What Paul was doing, what was happening against Paul, the world is doing against God and against the church today. Um, thank you. So I mentioned that last week. So consider these lessons on truth and application from the first six chapters. Just, just real summarize, just a real quick summary. Paul talked about an offer of comfort and purpose to others. That's chapter 1 and 2, an offer of comfort and purpose. And, and then later on he talked about considering the need to adjust our attitudes for effective ministry. And we talked about, you know, we need to tweak our attitudes about things. And how to effectively offer forgiveness as part of the message of the gospel. And how to biblically address the problems of being unequally yoked and to separate ourselves from the infidels. And we talked about that just in, in this chapter, actually. And so what that brings us to is our, our primary purpose to, for this study is to learn how to be transparent enough to impact others. He wrote in 2 in Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but with the, by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you. So then starting here in chapter 7, in verses 8 to 16, Paul is going to give us a guidance on a behavior that all Christians should understand. 
but I don't think all Christians do understand it. And what, when is it appropriate, and, uh, and when appropriate, know how to implement this, what he's about to lay out for us, which is the, what I call repentance, or you should call repentance. And he's going to address repentance for us in this chapter. So before we do that, turn over to Matthew chapter 18. And again, I was thinking about this, you know, rolling around in my head, you know, thinking, okay, um, what is Paul really saying here? What is he doing? What is he talking about? What is he trying to show us? And I, and I remember the passage in chapter 18, verse 15. And mo- many of you know this passage, you know, through, even nothing else, it's through discipleship on dealing with others. And, uh, you know, verse 15, Matthew 18, if, a, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between him and him alone, between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as, an, as a heathen man and a publican. So we're all pretty familiar with that passage of Scripture, right? That's, that's how do you reconcile issues with, between you and a, and a brother or sister in Christ. And so he laid things out here. So it's really interesting when you think about what that is and compare it to what Paul is doing. And so in verse 15, he says, go alone uh, in Matthew. In verse 16, he says, if, you, if, that won't, if that doesn't work, then take witnesses. And if that doesn't work, tell them in the church. And if that doesn't work, then you treat them as a heathen. What's a heathen? So this is how it's defined. Uh, a heathen is what the Jews called anybody that's not a Jew. So basically, a heathen was somebody that is no longer one of us. That would be, he said, treat him like he's not one of us anymore. You know, treat that person like a lost guy. Like a lost, treat that lady like a lost person. And a publican is almost the same. It's one who is, has an unscrupulous character. If I say that right, unscrupulous, is that right? Character. And what, to somebody that should be avoided. So, so basically, a heathen, he's not one of us, a, pe- uh, a, public, a, uh, a publican, we shouldn't associate with them people. So, I mean, we're, we're working, with, that's really, when I mean, you think about, uh, you know, what Brian talked about a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning, uh, that, that whole story there, that he laid all that out, he didn't talk directly about this, but that's basically, uh, you know, when somebody, when we have to, when, when, we, when a church is doing, executing, or going through the process of what we refer to as church discipline, at that point, that you have no business with that person until that person gets their act together again, right? So, uh, there's one thing that's not found in this passage in Matthew. And this is what's really amazing. I never thought, never thought about that until, until last night. So, um, what is meant by the word hear? In that passage, what does it mean to hear? <coughs> Uh, it's mentioned in each of, each of those verses, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Um, what, do, what do we want the offender to do once they hear? Matthew 18 doesn't say what we want the, the offender to do once they hear. We just want them to hear, and then it's kind of left ambiguous. About, we just want them to hear us. I voiced my, I, I, I vented to you what you've done, how you've offended me. You've heard it. Now it's done. No, actually it's not. There's, there's another process that needs to follow behind that. That's what Paul is laying out here. And so, um, verse 18 tells us what to do if they do not hear. Notice that what verse 18 says, if they do not hear, treat them as a heathen and as a publican. So if they hear, though, that means something important. If they hear, they are ready to receive what is being said, and they are to give heed or obey what is being said. That God says. So you know, you know those verses in Mark. There's a couple places in Mark, and even in Revelation. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. So we want somebody. We want them to hear what we're saying. So this is where Paul's kind of at right now in, in 2 Corinthians chapter seven. In the middle of chapter seven, this is where he's at. He he has been doing this the whole letter. He has been doing Matthew 18. The whole letter. He had gone to the church multiple times, right? He, he went. He wrote letters. I mean, he's, he's trying to communicate. Hey, you have... You, you know, Paul never actually said, you've offended me. But he's gone to them and says, you're at fault. You need to hear what I'm saying. You're at fault. 
He sent witnesses. and So, okay, so number one, he went to them privately. That didn't help. So he said, okay, I'm going to send a witness. I'm going to send Titus. It's really interesting that he sent Titus. He, he sent a witness in the form of Titus who was a witness of Paul's heart and Paul's true teaching. So Paul, Titus shows up at the church and says, look, everything that Paul has been writing to you, I'm an example that he is telling the truth. He is a witness of what Paul has said. He's not there to witness against, okay, I saw you commit that sin. I saw you do that. You're, you know, in the court of law, kind of a witness kind of thing. So there's witnesses for the offense and witness for the, for the defense. Uh, so that's not either one. This is just a witness of the example of the truth of what is happening here. So he, to be a witness doesn't mean to testify against necessarily. It simply means to bring evidence. That's what a witness does, brings evidence. And so as a witness, Titus demonstrated his life that the evidence that what Paul was taught and now he writes is, all that stuff is true and accurate. And so then Titus comes back with the word. We saw that earlier uh, last. We saw like we mentioned it a couple of times already, but he mentioned that I think in verse. Let me get back to where we were at here. I think it's uh, verse six. None, nonetheless, God that comforted those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. So, so my witness has come back. He says, and he learned from Titus. This is what he learned that the church finally heard him. That's what he heard. That's what he learned, that the church finally heard Paul's um, complaint against the church. So in trying to, to correct the church, Paul literally, as I said, has been following Matthew 18. So what did Paul want then? What is, what is he, he wanted them to hear him, right? That's for sure. But he also wanted something. He wanted the church to hear his charge against their sin, and he wanted them to repent of their sin and turn to the truth. Isn't that what we want? When somebody has wronged us, we want to correct their behavior. We don't want to just tell them, you wronged me, and then walk away. We want to tell them, you wronged me, and you need to get it right. There's, there's even parts of all of that that we, a lot of times, forget. Okay, so we'll get to that, hopefully, before we, we're done today. So he wanted the church to hear, and he wanted them to repent. Now, repentance is a very biblical word. Uh, in fact, it's used over 112 times in the Bible, with half of those both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. The word repent or uh, the variation of the repent, the repented, repentance, and so on. About 112 different times in the Word of God. Uh, John and Jesus spoke more of it than anybody else. John and Jesus, John the Baptist and Jesus spoke more about repenting than anybody else. Jesus. Uh, there are instances where the doctrine of repentance, unfortunately, is refused as not being necessary or scriptural. There's a lot of churches that teach today that you don't need to repent. You've already been saved. You don't need to repent. Let me tell you, you do. Because there's a repentance to salvation, which is a one-time deal. And then there's a repentance to sanctification. So when you're in sin, you are not in sanctification. You're not clean with God. You need to get right. You need to repent. So... Um, while the Bible speaks of repentance, as I said a lot of times, you know what? Paul rarely spoke of repentance. Uh, he mentioned the word in uh, Romans 2, 4. He says, <clears throat> Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and the forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. That was one time he talked about it. He didn't describe it. He didn't go into depth about it. He just mentioned it. The, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. He told Tim Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance. So that's the problem with the church. They were opposing themselves because they were rejecting Paul, and they need to come to right. So uh, what we're going to find here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 8, is that Paul is going to give teaching on repentance. He's going he's to lay it all out for us because the church is repenting and he wants to make sure they understand what they're repenting and how to, do, how to make it happen, how to do it, which in turn teaches us. So let me define repentance first. The burden of God's heart is that all men should repent, according to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. All men should repent. The Lord is not, slack, uh, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. So here's my definition. This is kind of how I put it. Uh, you can get a lot of different definitions when you study the idea of repentance. But this is my definition, which if you had your notes, you could have it all written down for you. But here it is. Repentance is a, it's, it's a two-part process. 
Repentance is a change of mind and heart that brings about a change of life and action. Repentance is a change of your mind and a change of your heart, which produces a change in your life and your actions. If you don't, if you're if you're repenting, it ought to have it ought to make make a drastic change in your life, both in your heart and in your mind and in your life. <clears throat> Excuse me, and in your life. So. Um, There is one time that repentance, to, there's, as I mentioned, when there's one time that repentance to salvation is important. That, you see that in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, when, when Peter said, be, uh, repent and be converted. In Acts chapter 11, verse 18, it says that God commanded all men to repent. So that's bringing people to salvation. You need to repent of your life away from God so that you can have a change of life in action so that you can be a believer. That's one-time deal. That's the repentance to salvation. But after that, um, there's repentance, as I said, to sanctification. So what we all face most of the time, unless you're not yet saved, is you need to be re- you need to get clean with God, uh, get right, get get uh, back in the sanctification. So biblical repentance is an exposure to the Word of God, and biblical repentance is not sorrow of the world. Some people think that repentance means, well, I'm sorry, so I repented because I said I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but when you say I'm sorry, most of the time you probably didn't actually mean it. Because you know how we tell our kids, tell them you're sorry. I know you took that toy, tell them you're sorry. (laughs) Tell them you're sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, fine, everybody's good now. Isn't that how we do it? That's what I did anyway, I didn't because I didn't understand. The whole process, we need to, in that situation, look, you wronged your, your, your sister. You need to give her her toy back and then ask for her forgiveness and go through the whole thing. And hopefully it'll change their life. Okay, so anyway, verses 8 to 11. Let's read that passage because we're going to talk about a biblical repentance. For though I made you sorry with the letter, I, did, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I, received that the, I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And verse, verse 11 is the, is the main, main thrust here. For behold this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you, Yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. Which is what ultimately repentance is supposed to get you to. Get clear with your brother. Get clear with the situation or, or whoever you have wronged. You need to be clear with them. Okay? And so... Um, so verse 8 talks about making one sorry. So Titus finally caught up with Paul, because Paul had moved to Macedonia. From He was in uh, Ephesus. He moved to Macedonia. Paul, Titus finally found him there, and he gave the details of how Paul's communication had brought the church to tears uh, when they learned how they had grieved Paul. They finally, like, they finally heard the word, the message from Paul, and you guys are grieving me something fierce here. Um, so the entire study, we've been looking at Paul calling the church out for their sin and waiting for some sort of change. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't have written such a long letter, and or as many letters either, or made so many trips there. So the, the entire study is looking at what he's been doing, and now it happened. It finally happened. They they've heard, and Paul can then rejoice over it in a way of release, but and begin to forgive. Because forgiveness also was tacked on at the end of repentance. There needs to be forgiveness as well. And so anyway, Paul's letters produce both a true and a temporary sorrow. He's not sorry for his letters, as, they, uh, as their purpose was for reconciliation. He, he, that's the only way he could communicate with them. They wouldn't receive him, so he had to write a letter to them. So they could, so they could at least hear what he had to say. So he said, I made you sorry, but I'm not sorry for that, because finally my letters make you sorry for a season to bring about a, restore, a, rest, a restoring. So 
he didn't want to write the letter. We've talked about that before. He didn't want to write the letter that we called the the, uh, the lamenting letter. He didn't want to write that. That's one of the, another one of the letters that doesn't uh, we don't have in, in the in the scripture. But he didn't want to write that letter, but he had to. And it grieved him to write it, but he's not he's not sorry that he wrote it because it did what it needed to do. Sometimes, you know what? We're all like that. I know. I mean, I mean they, they they keep offending me, but I I just I don't think I could say to them. I don't think I'd go to their face and say anything to them. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna endure it. Maybe they'll go away. Maybe one day something will happen. No, you need to write that lamenting letter to the person, face them, and say, "You've offended me. This is how." See, there's a proper way to do it. I mean, you just walk up. You're a jerk. I don't think you're gonna get very far. I think you'll lose right there. Okay. So anyway, so Paul's letters have finally made a difference, even though it grieved him to write them. The word sorry in verse 9, it refers to a pain of body and mind that is translated as the word grief. The important point here is that grief is a word. This is an interesting thing. Grief is a word. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a love word, actually, because you only grieve over the things that you love. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever grieves over anything that they don't care about. They don't have a passion for it. They don't love it. They don't grieve over it. And Paul says, you made me sorry. You, I, you, I'm grieving over you because I care for you. I love you. The important point, part is that the word points to a love for another as you cannot grieve over somebody that you do not love. In verse 9, there's a transformation that's produced in verse 9. And so Paul, he rejoiced not in their sorrow over Paul's grief, but over that he, he, he rejoiced over the fact that they were sorry after a godly manner. And so, um, meaning that they were sorry in the way that God wanted them to, to be, uh, which was a sorrow leading to repentance. So basically, Paul got what he wanted. He wanted them to be sorry because they knew, they're starting to realize, we have not only just wronged Paul, we've wronged God too. And so, so he, was, he, was, he was enjoying, not enjoying, but he was rejoicing over that. Okay, so there was, there was no anger in Paul. There was no anger in the church anymore. Instead, there was just sorrow that led to a repentance. Essentially, Paul is not sorry because his letters have led him to recover their senses and move them to a change. Uh, he's just he's happy because it moved them. It changed them. It, it, it's, it's creating something different in them. So consider, for example, the prodigal son in Luke. Remember when... The prodigal son, he's giving me my inheritance, and he goes off and he squanders it, and he's laying in a, in a pig pen. He's like, man, I really messed up. There's repentance starting right there. In yeah. uh, Luke 15, 17, it says, and when he came to himself, mm. that's repentance. When he came to himself, he realized, he says, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? Oh, light's coming on. I need to get out of this pit. You know what he needs to do? In verse 20, first, uh, Luke 15, 20, what he did? He, it says that he came to his father. He came to his father. So when we need to repent, first we need to, um, we need to come to ourselves, realizing what's going on, and we need to come to God and begin that whole process of getting right. Then in verse 10, there's no apology made here. There's nothing like an apology being made. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So he's making a comparison here. Paul had been looking for a godly sorrow that, led, that would lead the church and the Christian um, back to a place of sanctification. The sorrow of the world does not offer life, doesn't offer sanctification or even salvation. It only offers death. The salvation of the, 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 sanct- the sorrow of the world. You know, we grieve over things of the world, but it doesn't help. And we can't change the world unless we are changed. Before we can change the world, we have to be changed. We have to be transformed. We have to be transparent enough so that the people can see the reality of what God is doing in our life. And they say, why are you different? You probably have heard people ask you, why are you so different? Or some variation of that type of a statement. You know, you're just different. I know um, that does happen on occasion. And when you, it gives you an opportunity to let God, let them see God. So, okay, so anyway... Um, repentance versus remorse. Repentance versus remorse. Repentance is a change of thought and action, as I said. But remorse is simply regret or guilt over wrong actions. 
So I feel bad that I messed up, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Hmm. That's remorse. And remorse and repentance are not the same. So many people think, well, to repent is just to say I'm sorry. No, there's a whole process involved. I mean, it does, that does get included. Don't misunderstand me. You do need to say I'm sorry, but there's a whole different kind of a process involved. Repentance produces change. Remorse produces sadness. Repentance reproduces change, and remorse only produces sadness. Let me give you a couple of biblical examples. Remember in Esau? Remember the story of Esau? Uh, he was remorseful. He was not repented according to, uh, repentant according to Hebrews. If I turn over to Hebrews 12, let's just look at that real quick. Hebrews 12, verse 16 to 17. <clears throat> well, let's go back to 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby be many be defiled, lest there be a fornicator or a profane person as Esau, who for a one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And verse 17 is the key. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. He was remorseful. That, man, I, I really messed up. I shouldn't have sold my birthright to my brother. He made, he made a mistake, but he didn't ever repent of it. So that's one example of, of it. Another example would be Judas. You know, Judas. He, uh, he was not repentant at the selling out of Jesus either. He was remorseful. That his plan didn't go as well as he thought it would. So he gave back the gold, or he threw the gold down, and then he killed himself. He didn't kill himself in repentance. But repentance doesn't lead to death. Sorrow of the world leads to death. That's where, that's where Judas was. He was sorry because of the world. And that's why he died. One good example, though, is Peter. Peter would be an example of, re, of repentance. He, he repented over his denial of Christ. You know, he, Christ said, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. What did he do? When he realized that he had denied Christ, he went out and wept. He, was, he wasn't just remorseful, he was ready to repent. Then verse 11 gives us a dynamic description of repentance. There's seven things that are listed here in this verse. And so Paul takes a bold step. Well, Paul, the reason that Paul is writing this is because he's, he's like, oh, Matt, Matthew 18, no, he didn't have Matthew 18, but a Matthew 18 process worked. Praise the Lord. Now, oh, church, let me make sure you understand what repentance is. This is repentance. This is what you need to, this is the sequence that you need to go through in your life, in your process of repentance. So I'm telling you now, so you can double check your work. He's giving them a checklist to double check their work. So he takes the whole, the bold step to write it, to write again, but this time with instruction on repentance. He says, verse, let me get back to Second Corinthians again. And it's a long list of verses here, but he says, Behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort. So that's what we want. We want people to be sorrowed after a godly sort. And then what happens is, what carefulness. I'm just going to read the what's here. What carefulness, what clearing, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what revenge. In all things, you have approved yourself to be clear, which is where we want to get. So at the, stop, we're not, at the stop, start of that verse, we're not clear. By the time we get through these seven things, we'll be clear in our repentance, and, and getting things right again. So what is carefulness? What carefulness, he says. Repentance should not be delayed. Once recognized, you need to act. You don't wait for that person to come to you and say, ah, oh, you wronged me, and okay, I've been waiting for like the last three years for you finally to say I wronged you. No, if you know that you wronged that person, why don't you just go to them and say, look, I messed up. I want to, I want, I want to be careful about how I do this. I don't want everyone to do it again. So some, you know, sometimes it's initiated by the one that caused the problem. At least it should be. Um, so repentance shouldn't be delayed. Once recognized, it need, you need to do it now. And he says, what clearing? It's an interesting word, the word clearing. That's the Greek word for apology. And so it's not apologetics. We've talked about apologetics. It's not that. Uh, this is a little bit different. It's not a denial of sin. It's a confession of it. 
That's what he says. What clearing? I'm gonna I'm gonna get this out in the open. I'm gonna confess it. You know, you know what we want. You're talking to your little kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I took her toy. That's what you want the brother to say to the sister or whatever. That's what we want people to. In, a, in an adult way, we want you. If you've wronged me, you should at least at least. So this is why just saying I'm sorry doesn't work because you're not confessing what you did wrong. Repentance includes an admission of my mistake, my actions that were that were in violation of you, and uh, or uh, to God. So what clearing? And then he says, what indignation? And that so indignation is a desire, a decided hatred. But he's saying you need to have a decided hatred for the sin that you were committing. What what did you do wrong? You, you know you should hate that. God hates sin, right? God hates all sin, but we should hate sin as well. We don't need to hate the sinner. We need to hate the sin. So if it's my sin, I should hate it as well. I can't hate myself, but we do need to hate the sin that we've done. And then he says, what fear? A fear of repetition without removal of your activities. I mean, and then I. The thought that you might fall back into that ought to scare you enough to keep you from falling back into that. And then he says, what vehement desire. And that's a craving that the sin be purged from your life. A vehement desire. A, a, I have to get this out of my life because I have a zeal. That's number six. A passion to clean house and set things in order. And then he says, what revenge. He, so, to inflict punishment on anything that tries to return you to your formal sinfulness. You basically want to take revenge on not. So what dragged you into sin to begin with? Well, maybe it was jealousy. Maybe it was um, pride. Maybe it was, uh, you know, just covetous, you know, anything like that. And, and so you've sinned against a person. Um, well, just have a revenge on anything that would want to bring you into that again. And so now when somebody comes, you come to somebody, Matthew chapter 18, and you say, you know, uh, hey, you wronged me, and you tell it to them, and you, and you want, if they hear you, okay, great, they heard. Well, what I want them to do is this. I want them to repent. But why? Because then I go back to, I think it was in chapter 3, might have been chapter 2, where we talked about the, the whole issue of forgiveness. And so, so after somebody says, this is what I did wrong, and I've gone through the whole process, and now I'm at, at the end of verse 11... Uh, that you're that now I'm clear in this whole matter. Now, okay, so if the person that sinned against me or wronged me in some way, now they're clear. You know what? I got to get clear too. You know what I do? I say, you know what, brother, I forgive you. I forgive you. Remember, we talked about forgiveness, and we talked about. Remember how I told you at the beginning of this lesson, beginning of this study, that Paul, because everything that's going on in Paul's heart and his mind as he's trying to write, sometimes he. This is not a, exactly an expository book to preach. You can't just start at lesson, you know, verse chapter one, verse one, and go through to the end. You, there's he, Paul leaves it. He'll he'll drop a a, a a nugget someplace, and then he'll go take on something else, and then he'll take on something else, and then he'll pick back up. Well, that's what he kind of does. He, so he had to get to this point before he could address how to forgive again. And so forgiveness. You, there's two sides of it. So you have to. People have somebody. The person that, that committed the, the wrong has to has to repent. Then they seek forgiveness, and and we give it. If we're the one that has been wronged against, we need to forgive, because we don't have a right to not forgive. Now we can withhold forgiveness if there hasn't been a repentance. I think you know you can kind of just be praying. I want I want to I want to get this right. I want to get this right. Ultimately, that person. That's what Paul. Paul is where he's at. He wants the church to get right. He doesn't have any anger to the church, towards the church, and so in essence, he's forgiven the church. And so, this whole process is just found in your chapter, chapter seven, and then he finishes up. We only got a couple minutes, and I'll just try to just make a couple of comments here on verses twelve to sixteen, because this is grace for the repentant, grace for the repentant. Verses twelve to sixteen, he says, "Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for this cause." that had done the wrong, nor for this cause that suffered the wrong. So I'm not writing you because of what, what was, who was wronged or who, was, who did the wrong or who was wrong. He says, but that our care for you in the sight of God might be appear unto you. I want you to see how God loves you just as much as how, how I love you. That's what he's talking about. 
And therefore, in verse 13, we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joy, the more joyed we have, we can't read it. Therefore, we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. He's basically saying, uh, your, your joy made Titus so happy that it made me happy. It's contagious happiness. And that's how it ought to be. When we get right with each other, there ought to be a joyfulness in, in the whole room, in the whole church, in the whole world. There ought to be a joyfulness. Too often there's not because we don't let it go. Because we haven't forgiven, we haven't repented. See, then, you, unfortunately, if you don't forgive, now you're the one that needs to repent. And you have to go through this process and you go ping-ponging back and forth. And they don't want to do that either. So Titus was overjoyed. Paul was overjoyed. So when you go to somebody, as in Matthew 18, and they hear you and repent, you need to find, you need to go back, back to chapter 3, as I said, and forgive them, and the true joy repentance leading to forgiveness and a reestablishing of fellowship. So now, now Paul can go back to the church. The church they, their, their relationship has been restored, which is ultimately what God has always wanted. He wants us to restore our relationship uh, in this whole thing. And, and it's such an awesome thing to see how Paul, you know, he's just going to, that, that verse, verse 11, just kind of, it's just kind of w- just laid out there in a way that if you're just reading through it, you know, what's Paul trying to get to? That's why we had to kind of break it down and look at this and see what's going on and understand where Paul is at, what he's trying to get accomplished. Okay, so anyway, that's enough. We're going to go ahead and end um, a couple minutes early, but considering I was late, I guess that's not too bad. Um, so let's pray, and we'll be out of here. So the main service is, uh, you know, at 1030. Um, so uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this, this passage of scripture, which really talks about a biblical uh, restoration of relationships. What, a, what an awesome thing. The example that Paul has, Lord, and, we, and we, let, we know that the world sees us, and they want us to be at odds with each other. But we, Lord, have a tool that you have given to us called repentance that brings us back to a place of sanctification and purity and honesty and holiness, Lord. And I pray that we can always do this, so we can receive uh, repentance from somebody that's wronged us, and that we can show repentance to somebody that we have wronged, including you, God, including you. Because there are many times uh, we wrong you, even in our own private life, and we never publicly or specifically maybe wronged a person, but we have wronged you. Help us to stay clean with you, God. We just thank you and praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.